MSW Media. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I did have, not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to the MSW Book Club. This is episode five in the eight-part series of the book, Here, Right Matters by Colonel Alexander Vindman. Last week, we covered chapter six and seven, and today we cover chapter eight called Danger, which begins on page 127 of the hardcover edition. This chapter also includes a section of pictures, and I reminded you last week to grab a copy of the book so you could see those photos this week. Um, Besides, after all these book club series, you're going to look so smart. Your bookshelf says a lot about you. All right, chapter eight, Danger, opens up with a simple statement. I can't say I wasn't warned. Alex says he kept in touch with an army mentor, an operations officer named Omar Jones. And uh, when he was considering working on the National Security Council under Trump, Jones connected him with someone on the NSC uh, who, who told Alex, quote, this will be the most dangerous and challenging environment you've ever worked in. And that includes combat operations. The danger would be different than combat, but the political landscape and the people would be just as treacherous, as Alex says. Colonel Vindman was more of an ops guy and not really a political guy, so it could prove even more difficult. And there really isn't any training for how to navigate those types of challenges. It just sort of relies on experience and that moral compass and sense of duty that Alex had been honing for years already in his esteemed military career. What he couldn't see was the shadowy policy the Trump administration was incubating and that it would specifically involve Russia and Ukraine. Alex's in-demand area of expertise, as a matter of fact. It was that particular danger that was awaiting him. And he says, not seeing it coming, I would pay a great price. Let me read from the book here, page 128. One of the things I've heard said about me, even by those sympathetic to my story, is that like Icarus of ancient Greek mythology who flew with feather and wax wings, while at the NSC, I simply got too close to the sun. The analogy suggests that there might have been hubris involved in my fall from grace at NSC after I reported the presidential misconduct I was privy to. That action led to me testifying before the House and to further reprisals, and then to my eventual decision, the hardest fall I took, to retire from the Army. And we know that shortly after Vindman arrived on the National Security Council, that Trump was beginning to put into action his two-pronged attack to win the 2020 election. First, discrediting the work of Mueller, who concluded Russia was involved in the 2016 victory of Trump, and second, by smearing his future opponent, Joe Biden. That plan involved Ukraine and the home of Alex's ancestors and a a critical part of his job. Quote, on that July call, my job on behalf of the long-range security interests of the U.S. would collide with President Trump's short-term nickel-and-dime electoral and political sleaze. 
and I would have to draw on everything I'd ever learned to navigate the fallout. Now, none of that was clear in 2018 when Fiona Hill walked into his interview that he was having for the job at the NSC and said, you're hired. When can you start? And Alex um, did his research based on what Omar Jones's contact at the NSC told him, you know, danger. This will be harder than any combat thing you've ever done. And before he took the job, he had to complete his stint with the Joint Chiefs and then he had to get the Army's OK. Well, the Army gave the green light and he started in July 2018 as the director for Russia after taking a vacation to see a few national parks, Mount Rushmore, Yellowstone, etc., with Rachel and Ellie, with his family. And due to a complete lack of interest in Russia by Trump, he was assigned to all of Eastern Europe as well. Um, He was so into his job, he would often stay in the office until 10 or 11 at night. And around that time, the presidential summit was taking place in Helsinki, and it would be the first face-to-face meeting between Trump and Putin. And Alex saw it as an opportunity to advance U.S. policy in the region, as one would. The joint presser, however, was a disaster. As we know, Trump rejected our own intelligence community assessments and sided with Putin that Russia had not interfered in the 2016 election. Of significant importance was the fact that the new NSA, National Security Advisor John Bolton, was getting ready to meet with his Russian counterpart to develop the initiatives laid out during the presidential summit. The meeting was going to take place in Geneva, and Alex would get to sit at the table with our biggest global adversaries at the time. Alex also wanted to advance the interests of Ukraine during that meeting. The meeting with the Russians was set for August 23rd, and Ukrainian Independence Day was August 24th, so they could add a stop in Ukraine for that celebration. Quote, having fully learned my lessons, I had no reticence about speaking up when I had something to say. He had to convince Bolton, and he proposed the idea and said that Bolton could meet with top officials in Ukraine, take part in the celebrations, showing U.S. support for Ukrainian interests. And Bolton liked the idea, so they began planning. Quote, it was quite a trip. First, they flew out to meet the Russians in Geneva, and Alex sat at the table, two seats down from Bolton. Bolton held a firm line and advised the Russian Federation Secretary of the Security Council, Petrushev, that we would not, the U.S. wouldn't tolerate a repeat of the 2016 election interference. And he also made clear the U.S. didn't recognize the Russian annexation of Crimea, that it happened in 2014, and that we disapproved of any Russian interference in Ukrainian elections that were coming up in 2019. And in the end, no joint statement was signed by the Russians. After that, they took the trip to Ukraine, Kiev, and that was a huge highlight for Alex. The meetings went well, according to Vindman, and when he returned to the U.S., his major focus was starting to protect the 2019 Ukrainian elections. He proposed a giant plan for securing the election, and he proposed it to Bolton. Bolton approved, and then Alex launched and coordinated the effort, which involved many agencies and offices across the U.S. government. It was a pretty big task. And during that process, Alex developed a strong relationship with his counterparts. One key person was Masha Yovanovitch. That's the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. Another was Laura Cooper, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Defense for Russia, and and also Ukraine and Eurasia. And then George Kent, the Deputy Assistant Secretary for the State Department for the same countries Alex was assigned. And many of these folks would end up testifying in the first impeachment of Trump alongside Vidman. And uh, in the early days, they all shared concerns about what Trump was doing, but were unaware of his total focus and that it was on his own political goals and that that would undermine the institutions they were working to protect and U.S. policy with Ukraine. And the first test of the Trump White House's Ukraine policy came on November 25th, 2019, when Russia and Ukraine came at direct military odds. That's when Russia tried to ram two Ukrainian boats. They ran into each other instead. That was the Kerch Strait. And the boats withdrew in international waters. A Russian military pursued and fired on them, boarded them, and captured the Ukrainians, and eventually charged them with the violation, uh, violating Russian immigration laws, despite the fact that the boats have every right to 
traverse that strait. Alex advised Bolton on what to do in this particular case, and I'm going to read here directly uh, from the book. Um, He says, "Uh, here was a classic Russian display of dominance, Alex writes. I advised Bolton uh, that this was classic Russia. Quote, the Russians were relying, as usual, on our not knowing what to do in the face of their belligerence. Russia is adept at a technique. It's part of a uniquely Russian doctrine called reflexive control, in which it conveys information that inclines an opponent to overreact to a risk and to self-deter, thus making the very decision Russia desires. So they trick you into it. Instead, uh, Alex continues, I recommend the United States take a strong position, both on behalf of our allies in the immediate region and in support of our own strategy for deterring Russian aggression. Bolton seemed to agree with my assessment, and I hope for a strong U.S. response. Um, Now, Alex was unpleasantly surprised that Trump took no leadership role at all in response to that incident in the Strait. And worse yet, Trump ordered a lockdown of any U.S. military activity in the region, basically signaling weakness to the rest of the region by the U.S., U.S. weakness. Trump's error came in allowing the prospect of catastrophe to wipe out the ability to make any risk calculation at all. He risked overall U.S. policy paralysis, which left big sectors of the world vulnerable to events unpredictable with unpredictable consequences. It emboldened Russia, uh, which resulted in those bounties put on U.S. troops in Afghanistan and those cyber attacks that also didn't trigger a response from Trump. Now, by 2019, Mueller had returned a bunch of indictments, and that's when Rudy Giuliani began making moves in the purview of Alex's region. Rudy had no foreign policy portfolio, no official role in representing U.S. interests in Ukraine. He was just the president's private attorney. And he began developing alternate hypotheses involving Ukraine that would exonerate Trump from colluding with Russia and instead implicate Ukraine. The same story the Russians had been pushing for two years. Uh, Rudy wanted corrupt Ukrainian prosecutors to investigate his false allegations and dragged Hunter Biden into the scheme based also on Russia propaganda. Rudy's shenanigans were mostly just noise at first to those in the policy community. In 2019, Alex said the focus at the NSC was not the Mueller probe or Trump's 2020 election hopes. It was still laser focused on protecting the 2019 Ukrainian election. But try as they might to compartmentalize Rudy, his shtick started to seep into their institutional spaces, which began undermining U.S. policy. He started to smear Masha Yovanovitch using John Solomon, a conservative commentator for The Hill. The slander seemed to originate with one of the corrupt Ukraine prosecutors named Lutsenko, known widely as a totally corrupt dude. He didn't want Masha around because she was anti-corruption. Lutsenko and Giuliani flipped the script and said it was Masha that was trying to shut down anti-corruption efforts in Ukraine, and that it was Lutsenko who was anti-corrupt. Alex tried to get the NSC to support Masha, but Trump Jr. retweeted a Daily Wire article repeating the slanderous claims about her, and then President Trump himself began repeating them publicly. Pompeo eventually recalled Ambassador Yovanovitch, and the results seemed to remove impediments to whatever Giuliani was cooking up in Ukraine. And right around that time, the Ukrainian election happened. Zelensky was elected. The election was protected. Uh, This is everyone suspected Zelensky would be, and he won very handily. And Alex worked on the prep for our response to that victory, and Trump called Zelensky on a flight back from D.C. to to D.C. from Florida. And Alex listened to that call, and he was pleased with how it went. Trump used most of Alex's talking points. And so Alex was encouraged. Now, three days later, though, Joe Biden entered the Democratic primary for the 2020 election. And we'll be right back with the rest of Chapter 8. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Think about how many hours we spend sitting at our desks or on the couch watching TV. 
But what if you could turn those otherwise inactive times into opportunities to burn calories or stay fit, keep mobile? That's exactly what you do with QB, C-U-B-I-I. It's a compact elliptical unit that fits under your desk or in front of your couch so you can be pedaling while you're watching TV or, or working on your computer. In fact, I'm using it right now and you can't even hear it because it's whisper quiet. It's super easy on your joints. And in a recent clinical study, it shows that it helps burn 84% more energy than just sitting there. We all say I'd work out more if I only had more time. Well, this makes it easy. QB makes it easy to burn calories and stay active anytime while you're working, watching TV. And QB is also perfect for anyone who might be housebound or otherwise needs something to help improve circulation and keep active. So if you have a parent or loved one who has limited mobility and needs a way to stay healthy, QB would be the perfect gift this holiday season. I love my QB and I know you will too. You can take advantage of QB's 30-day risk-free in-home trial and turn your least active times into your most productive opportunities to stay healthy. Visit QB.com slash MSW to find the QB elliptical model that's right for you. That's QB, C-U-B-I-I dot com slash MSW. Everybody, welcome back. We're finishing up Chapter 8 here of Here Right Matters by Colonel Vinman. And I left off on page 142 in the hardback, ed- uh, hardback edition. And, and now with uh, Zelensky in office, the National Security Council was doubling down on reform and anti-corruption efforts in Ukraine. On his own initiative and with the buy-in from the bosses, Alex put together another plan for securing the integrity of other elections in the region. It was a massive, months-long project with tons of meetings chaired by Fiona Hill, where he sat in right next to her, and he was specifically focused on energy sector reform as well and multilateralism among Ukraine, Poland, and other players in the region, and also preventing China from using corruption to acquire Ukraine's premier aircraft engine manufacturer. That was something else he had his head down on, work, you know, head down working on. And during all that work, um, politics kept rearing its ugly head, right? The White House was prepping to send Pence to Zelensky's inauguration, and that's when shit really got strange. In early May, Rudy redoubled his effort and began talking down Ukraine. He told reporters he'd be going to Kiev and wanted to meet with Zelensky personally to pursue investigations of interest to Trump. He kept pushing the Ukraine 2016 interference conspiracy theory, and Fiona Hill said Trump had actually ordered Pence not to attend Zelensky's inauguration, a seeming punishment for not opening investigations. Bolton sent Vindman to the inauguration, which was a momentous trip for him, the land of his ancestors, and the inauguration was significant because it signaled a change in the region. Alex got to meet with Zelensky himself and says he was very thoughtful and smart and also really funny. Alex cautioned him directly to do everything he could to keep from getting swept up in U.S. domestic politics. At that point, Zelensky gave him a tilted his head and gave him a quizzical look. And Alex didn't know whether it was like a, a who is this low level dude lecturing me look or more of a that sounds like a good idea. But Rudy's telling me the opposite look. He doesn't know. But during that trip, Alex also met with the head of Ukraine's NSC. Danny Look, who offered Alex a job in the Zelensky administration as their defense secretary, basically. Alex couldn't tell if he was serious, but after he turned him down, uh, Danny Look repeated the offer. Alex politely refused, but duly documented the offer, reported it to Fiona Hill, reported it to the National Security Council, as one does. But that would come up later in the impeachment hearings when Republican lawyer Stephen Castor, remember that dickhead? He asked him about it. And Alex says, quote, the White House henchman must have screened all my emails looking desperately for something compromising. And that job offer was all they could come up with. They only found it because he had reported it. And it was a non-issue for the counterintelligence community. And Alex found it surprising and even a little amusing that anybody was bringing it up. But the important part of that story is that the White House took a document that he had classified as confidential and leaked it to Republicans looking to discredit him. That's very concerning. And after the inauguration in Ukraine, 
Alex returned home to rapidly developing calamities for U.S. policy in the region. Rudy's narratives began gaining traction. Trump was repeating them and started accusing Ukraine of being responsible for the DNC and DCCC hacks instead of Russia. Alex recommended the NSC debrief Trump on the Ukraine trip and that he could give the president a sense of the realities of the situation. But Hill and Bolton said no and sent Gordon Sondland instead. And Sondland was the ambassador to the EU. That doesn't make any sense. But it became apparent Sondland and Mulvaney were connected to whatever Rudy was up to. And Alex's bosses, Bolton and Fiona Hill, feared that Alex could get caught up in whatever scandalous bullshit they were involved in. So they were really protecting him. And that was a good instinct, Alex says. Ron Johnson was at the Sunland brief, and he's considered a staunch defender of Ukraine, but is more known for kowtowing to Trump, and he would later be highly critical of Alex. And as it turned out, Alex found that most of the people that supported Trump were in on the anti-Ukraine allegations, including Nunes, for example. But despite Rudy's crap, Masha's ouster, the cancellation of Pence attending the Zelensky inauguration, there did seem to be some hope, some potential to get the policy back on track. Quote, then the hammer fell. Wednesday, July 3rd, an order came from the White House to place a hold on U.S. security assistance to Ukraine. This was a disaster that ran afoul of the Impoundment Control Act. We've talked about that. The GAO found it was in violation of that. And overnight, Ukraine and therefore all of Eastern Europe faced enhanced danger from Russia. Just like that. And what was super weird was the Office of Management and Budget. The OMB is the one who placed the hold. That's very unusual, well outside the purview of the OMB's job. Mulvaney was totally behind that. He was serving as the acting director for OMB, as well as White House chief of staff. Now, Vindman couldn't yet connect all those dots, but this was an emergency, the holding of that aid. They were working all hours to get the decision reversed. All hours, day and night, didn't see their families. They needed to release those funds to the Ukraine. It was against the Empowerment Control Act. It was damaging to U.S. policy in the region. Gave Russia power. Alex led that process to release the hold and would coordinate with legal counsel at Department of Defense, Department of Justice, Department of State to look at the legality of the hold. And he'd made progress. He was getting to a recommendation to reverse the hold and a demand for legal accountability from the Office of Management and Budget. But then another nausea-inducing development happened. And another as yet unconnected dot came into view. And that's the July 10th meeting with Kellogg, Fiona Hill, and Danaluk. That's the guy who offered Alex the job in Ukraine. We've heard a lot about this meeting. The meeting was in Bolton's office. Alex wanted certain people to be there, including Volker, who's the U.S. special rep for Ukraine. And Bolton seemed to be handling the big meeting pretty well. There was Danaluk and his delegation, Volker, Sundlin, Rick Perry, Fiona Hill, an NSA energy official, and Alex Vindman. The discussion eventually worked its way back to the big Ukrainian ask, which was a meeting with Trump and Zelensky. And at that point, Bolton abruptly ended his meeting as Alex was catching up with his notes. Alex didn't hear a very important part of that. Sondland suggested that to get the meeting uh, with Trump, that Zelensky should open an investigation into the Bidens. So they were outside and then there was a brief photo op outside the West Wing. Alex went right into the next steps with everyone. And then he heard it clearly. He heard Sondland say forthrightly. He proposed a quid pro quo to Danaluk. If Ukraine made a series of investigations into the 2016 election focusing on the roles of the Bidens in Ukraine and Burisma, then a bilateral meeting would be arranged. Now, speaking on behalf of the NSC, Alex directly and passionately objected, saying the NSC would not be party to the venture and that he thought Sunland's attempts were inappropriate. Fiona Hill then came in and backed Vindman up. Sunland seemed prepared to back off at that time, but the proposal was very unsettling, deeply unsettling. It was that day Crazy Rudy's conspiracy theories 
weren't just relegated to him, but were part of a larger shadow policy. It was Sunland's suggestion that forced Bolton to end the meeting, as a matter of fact. And that's when he pulled, Bolton pulled Fiona Hill aside and warned her off of supporting what he called Sunland's and Mulvaney's drug deal. Remember? It's a drug deal. And then Zelensky dissolved the parliament, called for new elections, scheduled for July 21st. And his party, the Reform Party, won in a landslide. And Alex saw that as an opportunity for a congratulatory call. And Trump agreed. But Bolton rejected the idea and the call was canceled. But then the call was back on abruptly. It was scheduled for July 25th. And thus ends Chapter 8, Danger. Uh, Next week, we'll be going over the next couple of chapters. So go ahead and read ahead and we will see you next week. Don't forget, if you're a patron, you can submit your questions to Alex Vindman directly on Patreon, and he will join us for episode eight in this series to answer them right before the end of the year. So until next week, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG, and this is the MSW Book Club. The MSW Book Club is executive produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media and written by Allison Gill and Dana Goldberg. Sound design and engineering by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter and our art and web designer by Joel Reeder and Moxie Design Studios. The MSW Book Club is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.